We only have four more weeks in our Living the Gospel series, which is kind of crazy to think of. We've been in this since January. We've been going for a while. And next, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy to think that next week is Palm Sunday and that Easter is so close. These are only two weeks away. It's not far. This Lenten season has been flying by. Last week, we were in John 15, and we looked at how Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches that are attached to him. And that through the working of the vine, we, the branches, bear fruit, fruit that is meant to be shared, fruit that brings glory to God, fruit that is beneficial to the church. This week, John begins to take some of the crucial steps towards the cross. We won't be looking at a lot of verses this week, just three. They're found in John chapter 16, verses 31 to 33. Though the verses are few, they hold an incredible promise for us, and I pray that you are encouraged this week as we work through this text together. Again, the text is John 16, 31 to 33. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, I invite you to follow along. If you don't have your Bible with you, there is probably one in the pew, like right there in front of you. And if not, and if you prefer, that's totally fine. The words will be on the screens. We read the word of the Lord this morning. John 16, 31 to 33. Do you believe, Jesus replied, a time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. For in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. Praise in your name. Amen. In 2017, the Los Angeles Rams drafted wide receiver Cooper Cup in the third round. Now, not all of us may be super familiar with football, but just know that a wide receiver's main job is to run fast and to catch the ball, but not necessarily in that order. Cup was not ranked at the top of his class. He attended a smaller college on the eastern end of Washington State, and so he didn't have as many eyes on him. He didn't play in as many primetime games. He almost got cut from the Rams in his first year. He wasn't the most athletic receiver. He wasn't the fastest, but he did, he did make the team. In 2018, he had a year of experience under his belt, and, and expectations were higher for him. But during the fifth game of the season, he tore his ACL. A long, painful recovery awaited. And to make matters worse, he had to sit on the sidelines, completely unable to help the team at all as he watched them lose to the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. The end of his 2019 season was also marred by injury. It felt like he just couldn't catch a break. He had talent, he had potential, but there were always things in his way. The small school, the, the lack of athleticism, the, the injuries. Times were not easy for this receiver in the NFL. You'd, you'd hope that once you'd made it to the big show, once you'd been drafted and actually made a team, that things would get easier, but, but they didn't. They just, they just got harder. And there was always something more to push through, some hardship to overcome. 
And I think that each of us can relate to that. Probably not to playing in the NFL, and hopefully not to tearing our ACL. But we can relate to sometimes being frustrated with the hurdles that, get, that seem to get thrown into our way. It's fair to say that things do not always go the way that we hope they would. They don't always go the way that we think that they should. We know that. We, we feel that. We wish that we could have remembered the answers to the test. We studied for hours, and then during crunch time, when we needed things to come together, when we needed our memory to you know, do its job, it just didn't. It was like we'd never studied at all. The pressure built and, and forced the answers clear out of our brains, and we bombed the test. That cute boy or girl finally said something to us, and all we managed to push between our teeth was an awkward grunt coupled with a snort, and now we just want to change our names and move to a new town where no one has ever heard of us. We worked hard at our job, put in the time and the hours, and then when the interview for advancement took place, we nervous-talked our way right out of a promotion. We love our kids, we, we love our spouses, but we don't always do the best job of expressing it, and, and we mean to, we want to, but it feels like more often we are raising our voices than we are raising their spirits. Now to be fair, some of the hardships that we experience, we bring on ourselves because of our sinfulness, our failures. When I don't watch what I consume, I gain weight. When I speed and a cop catches me, I get a ticket. When I get caught cheating on a test, I get a failing grade. When I lie, trust is lost. There are tangible consequences for the sin in our lives, the sin we commit, and though these tangible consequences may be considered hardships, we know that we've earned these ones, like we deserve these ones. And then, some hardships are just the result of living in a broken world. You see, we can't get out of the way of every hardship in life. We just don't have the ability there's always some pitfall that we don't see coming or we totally see coming but have no idea how to avoid. Like when you're driving down the parkway and there's a car in either lane beside you and you can see that pothole coming from like a ways before you hit it, but you don't have the ability to get out of the way. So you say your prayer for your tires, grit your teeth and, and roll hoping that you don't do any lasting damage to the tire, to your suspension or to your car. Some hardships just enter our lives unwelcome, unannounced, and undeserved. They come upon us like a storm. It's not your fault that your job was cut because of a worldwide pandemic destroying the economy. You couldn't do anything about that, but that knowledge doesn't help pay the bills or put food on the table. It's not your fault your loved one got hit by cancer. Sometimes it's in the genes. Sometimes it's just too much sun. It feels like there are so many opportunities to get the big C these days, and we can't possibly avoid all of them. But the knowledge that it's not our fault doesn't help when we get the diagnosis. We still have a long road ahead of us, whether we're the one that is sick or it's the ones we love. It's not your fault that your child is born with a genetic disorder. The disorder doesn't mean that we love them any less. They are still our precious dear children, but it does make life harder. 
It does put a strain on our relationship with our spouse, and it can often put a different timetable in play for the life expectancy of the child. Maybe they'll be born. Maybe they'll make it to 15. Maybe they'll make it to 30. That's not your fault. That's not the child's fault, but the lack of fault doesn't mean that there isn't hardship. Even though it's a hardship, we're eager to bear because it means knowing and loving our child. As I think of these storms of life, I'm reminded of a particular storm that the disciples went through. Jesus had just spent a bunch of time healing people and casting out demons, and dude's exhausted, like he's tired. And so to escape the massive amount of people, that are crowding around him. He and his disciples get into a boat and they go to the middle of the lake, this is the Sea of Galilee. Now, Jesus is so tired, he, he falls asleep in the back of the boat. But while he's sleeping, a massive storm hits the lake and starts tossing the boat all over the place. Now, the wind is howling and the waves are, are crazy high. The disciples are freaking out. Now, these are experienced fishermen. They have spent their entire lives on the water. This is how they pay their bills. And they're freaking out. They all believe that they are going to die. They are caught in a literal storm of life. And there at the back of the boat, Jesus is still sleeping. And man, can we relate to that. When the storm is raging, doesn't it sometimes just feel like Jesus is asleep? Like he's not paying attention to us or... At least not the type of attention that we think he should be paying. You say you're with me, that, that you'll never leave me or forsake me, but where are you, man? You asleep right now? How come this is happening? Don't you see the destruction this particular storm is wreaking in my life? Where are you? God, are, are you asleep? I have no doubt that if we had Jesus tangibly with us like the disciples did, we'd be doing the same things that they did on the boat that day. They woke dude up. Jesus, wake up. Save us, man. We're all going to drown. What are you doing? Wake up. You may not have experienced losing your job or having a family member being diagnosed with cancer or having a child with a genetic disorder. You may not have experienced any of these particular storms of life, but you have experienced your own. No life on this earth is lived without hardship. We know this from the words of Jesus in our text this morning. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will face hardship. There, there isn't a qualifier here. It is a statement of fact. Hard things will happen, and they will happen to you. Now, it's important to understand that the context of this statement does not leave room for us to interpret it to mean that God is the one who is dishing out the trouble that we find in the world. So let us take some comfort in knowing that God is not sitting up on his throne going, well, Pastor Dan didn't pay his taxes on time, and he was a little short with Karen this week, and he didn't have the patience with his kids that he should have, and he was a little gluttonous when he was mowing that cheeseburger. So here you go, kid. The diagnosis is a flat tire getting to sit at five red lights in a row, and the next shopping cart you use is going to veer to the left. That's not how God works. God, isn't throw, God is not throwing hardships into our way because we've failed him. What we can take from this text is that life here on earth is going to have its fair share, sometimes more than its fair share of trouble, of hard times. And so there are times when each of us can relate to the disciples wondering why it feels like God isn't intervening. 
Why it feels like he isn't helping us overcome the obstacles, the hardships, and we sit there wondering why it feels like God is asleep, and why won't he just wake up and do something? And maybe there is a part of us that believes we don't deserve his help. We know that we aren't perfect, after all. We haven't been able to live up to the standard that he has set. You see, there's this sin that tempts us, that, that calls to us. We have done a great job of, of staying on, on the straight and narrow, right? We've, we've resisted time and time again. The storms rage, but we're a rock until we aren't. It's like the temptations just know when we're weakest, right? How fair is that? How is it fair that when my self-esteem is low, when my depression or anxiety is raging, when I'm not confident or, or when I'm lonely and feeling unworthy, that temptation knocks the loudest? Though I recognize that it's also a temptation of mine for me to blame my weaknesses when I fail, when truly I often have no one and nothing to blame but myself. Because there is a deep, broken part of me that wants to do the sin that I am trying to resist. There's a broken part of me that desires it. And I don't always excel at resisting my brokenness. The storms of life come upon us even though we have not earned them. How frustrating is it that though we didn't do anything to deserve them, they bring us to a weak point and make us that much more vulnerable to the sin that we are struggling to avoid. I'm not convinced that there are words in the English language that adequately express just how thankful I am. That though it feels like Jesus is sleeping and totally unaware of the problems in our lives, the struggles we face, and the temptations that we feel like we can't resist, that Jesus is anything but unaware, and that he has done more than we can hope or imagine. For he took every time that we failed, every time that we have given in to temptation, he took all those times, all those flaws, all of the results of our brokenness, all of the things that, that separated us from God, all of the sin that has caused us to fall short of God's standards, and he has taken them upon himself. And he carried them up a hill, and he was nailed to a cross. He became them. And as he was nailed to a cross, he became them for us. And there on that cross, the wrath of God, the wrath that we deserve was poured out on Jesus. Every time we have failed, every time we have fallen, every time we have missed the mark of the perfection that God demands is an offense to God. He demands justice. And that justice was taken out on Jesus. This is how great his love for us is. This is the promise that we have in our Savior, that on the cross Jesus died in our place so that we might have a relationship with God. You see, Jesus did not stay dead. He rose from the grave three days later in an event that I can't wait to celebrate with you two weeks from today. Jesus walked out of that tomb, defeating sin and death, and when we believe in him, when we believe in his work on the cross and his death and resurrection, then we are brought into the family of God. The dirty rags of our sin are taken from us, and we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. This is the promise of God. This is the hope that we have in Jesus. 
The world thought that they had defeated him. His enemies had conspired to have him betrayed and falsely condemned. Satan was celebrating at Jesus' death. But they couldn't touch him. The world thought it had its victory. Satan thought that he had won. But Christ prevailed. Christ conquered. Christ overcame. And as we rest in how Christ has overcome, let us listen to our text this morning as it tells us to have peace and to take heart. Be encouraged, church. Christ has overcome the world. When we rest in Him, when we trust in Him, when our faith is in Christ, then we are secure, we are safe. God is not unaware of our struggles. He's not oblivious to our hardships, but nothing can threaten the safety that we have in Jesus. And this was made incredibly clear to the disciples in the boat during the storm. Wake up! They called their teacher asleep in the back of the boat. Don't you see that we're all going to die? How can you just lie there? Jesus wakes up and says, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? And we might look at that response and think that that seems pretty, like a pretty silly question. How could they not be afraid? Does he not recognize the storm that they are in? Is he oblivious to the danger? And the reality is that truly it was not Jesus who was oblivious to the danger, but the disciples that were oblivious to his power. Though the storm raged, it could not destroy them, for Christ was with them. And as a display of his ability, he overcame the wind and the waves. He stood, he rebuked them, and the waters became completely calm. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will face hardship. We get these words from the same voice that tells us he loves us, from the same voice that healed the sick, cast out our demons, and raised the dead. The voice that assures us that life comes with hardship is the same voice that calms the storm. Though it may feel like Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat during our hardships, our perception of God's awareness has no bearing on his power. He is with us. He has overcome, and so we are safe. Not safe from heartache or pain in this life. One day this life will end for each of us, but in Christ our hope is safe. In Christ, the promises that God has made to all of us are safe. There is nothing that this world can do for all the storms that it throws at us that will stop God from keeping His promises to us. His promise to love us. His promise that He has forgiven us. His promise that one day, because of our faith in Jesus, that we will live forever with Him in heaven. And the problems, the struggles, of this earthly plane will be gone. No more tears. No more sorrow. Christ has won. He has overcome. And so we live in the result of his victory. This past year, Cooper Cup had one of the greatest statistical receiving seasons in the NFL history. He led the league in receptions, receiving touchdowns, and receiving yards. They call it the Triple Crown. He was phenomenal, borderline unstoppable. For those of you that, that don't know, the Rams won the Super Bowl this year and Cooper Cup was named the most valuable player of the game. As I was reading some articles on that particular game, I came across an interview that Cup gave afterwards. 
He talked about how as he was leaving the field after the loss to the Patriots in 2018, he felt like God gave him a vision of him returning and winning and that he would be the MVP of the game. Now, I tend to be pretty skeptical of of those kinds of stories. I find them a little cheesy and and I tend to get a little uncomfortable when people say those kinds of things. But putting aside my distaste, something he said in the interview hit me. And it's relevant to our text this morning. Cooper said that going into this season, he wasn't nervous. He wasn't scared anymore. Yeah, hardships had come. Yeah, he had faced injury, and he could experience injury again. But he felt secure. He wasn't worried anymore. And into that context, he gave this quote. It was written already, and I just, had to, I just got to play free. I got to play from victory, not for victory. Church, it is already written. We can face the storms of life, the struggles of today and tomorrow, the hardships that we are sitting in right now or that will soon come our way, and we can endure them with confidence. For in Christ, we are living from victory, not for victory. The battle has been won. The enemy has been defeated. Christ has overcome. Live in that. Rest in that. We can have peace. We can take heart. For Christ has overcome the world. Christ has won the victory. And through faith in Him, that victory is given to us, imputed to us. We do not deserve it. We have not earned it. But through our baptisms, through the work of Christ on our behalf, through the faith that has been given to us, we claim victory through Christ. And we can live freely because of the victory that Christ has won. Do not be scared, church. Do not be discouraged. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we live in the victory. Living in the gospel is living in the victory that Christ has won for us. What a freedom. What a hope and what a promise. What a fantastic, loving, gracious, and merciful God we serve. Amen.